Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Cool Canadian History. I'm your host, David Boris. Hello, everybody, and welcome. I hope you're having a great summer. This is a special summer episode celebrating the centenary of a very important event from the First World War. That's right. Today's special episode is a black day for the German army, the Battle of Amiens, 8 August 1918. In August of 1918, the Canadian Corps spearheaded one of the most successful battles fought by the British Commonwealth in the entire war. This was a battle that would break the will of the German army and usher in the closing phase of the First World War. Today's book recommendation is Shane Schreiber's Shock Troops of the British Empire, published by Prager in 1997. This is an extremely easy-to-read yet well-researched account of the Canadian Corps during the Hundred Days Campaign, a campaign which begins with the Battle of Amiens. Okay, we need to set the context for the Battle of Amiens first. So let's go to March of 1918. In March of 1918, the Germans launched a desperate gamble to end the war in what came to be known as the Ludendorff Offensive or the Spring Offensive. While a series of German hammer blows saw the German army earn some of the largest territorial gains of the entire war, in the end, the offensive proved unable to break through the link between the Anglo-Commonwealth forces in the north and their French allies to the south and thus the Germans failed to end the war on any sort of favorable terms. With the failure of the Ludendorff Offensive, the Germans had essentially lost their capacity for offensive action. Now, in response to the German attack, the Entente forces had finally agreed to merge their high command, and it was General Ferdinand Foch who was placed in charge of the entire Western Front. When the crisis of the spring had abated, he thus ordered a front-wide counterattack to be launched in the late summer. Douglas Haig, still commander-in-chief of the Anglo-Commonwealth forces, ordered General Rawlinson's 4th Army to deliver the attack. The focus of this counterattack would be on the key railway junction at the city of Amiens. You see, the Germans had come very close to capturing this key city in March, 
and to ensure the safety of it, the Germans would need to be cleared from its outskirts. In order to launch this attack, General Rawlinson asked for two of the most elite corps formations on the entire Western Front, the Australian Corps and the Canadian Corps. Side by side, these two corps would spearhead the Battle of Amiens. Now, the Canadian Corps by this point, and their Australian partners, were some of the strongest formations on the entire Western Front. The four divisions of the Canadian Corps had escaped the brunt of most of the fighting during the German Ludendorff Offensive, and thus its 100,000-strong force was fresh, fit, and full of artillery. The soldiers were experienced, well-trained, and backed by a massive logistical system that gave them more machine guns and artillery shells per soldier than any other core formation in the British Expeditionary Force. Simply put, the Canadian Corps could punch hard, essentially like a small army. Now, facing the Canadians at Amiens was an exhausted German army, but they were not beaten. The spring offensive had seen much of Germany's best troops killed or wounded, an influenza epidemic, what would later be known as the deadly Spanish flu or the Spanish lady, had also further weakened the German army. The Germans facing the Canadian-Australian spearhead were outnumbered by the Entente forces in both men and materiel. They were spread quite thin, but positioned in fairly well-built defensive fortifications. This was still very much an attack against siege-like German defenses. Now, the Canadian Corps had also, by this time, earned itself a very serious reputation for effectiveness in battle. Corselet in 1916, Vimy, Frenoy, Hill 70, and Passchendaele in 1917, these had all given them a powerful and feared reputation amongst the German high command. If the Germans knew that both the Canadians and Australians were lining up side by side, it would be a foregone conclusion that the Germans would predict exactly where the big attack was coming from. Canadian commander Arthur Curry thus implemented a fairly brilliant deception plan. He ordered several Canadian units made up of regular infantry, medical personnel, and signalers to move north into the Flanders region. His hope was that the Germans would spot these units and assume the entire corps was being moved north. As well, he ordered paraphernalia to be dropped in the Flanders region, so like maps, fake battle plans, pieces of badges and clothing, etc., all to indicate to the Germans that the Canadians were coming north. Curry was adamant that the ruse should not fail. He ordered his frontline troops to remain away from the very front line and didn't even inform his division commanders that there was an attack being planned until July 29th, just a week and a bit before the actual assault. The Canadians would also be supported by the largest number of tanks ever deployed in the history of warfare. Nearly 500 were allotted to the Canadian-Australian spearhead, while the Canadians themselves received 168 of the newest British tank, the Mark V. Curry understood 
that his corps would be working with large numbers of these new mechanical beasts, and in the weeks leading up to the assault, Curry ordered a number of his officers and men to train at the Australian Infantry Tank School deep in the rear in preparation for the combined infantry armor assault that would characterize Amiens. Just a reminder before we continue, you can find us on all your podcast listening devices, as well as on Facebook, Instagram, and of course at our homepage, coolcanadianhistory.com. If you go to our Facebook page or our website, you will see links to PayPal or Patreon. Both of these links provide safe and secure ways to donate to the podcast. We survive solely on your donations, and every dollar donated is extremely helpful in allowing us to continue to bring you this history program. As well, on our Facebook page and on iTunes, you can leave us a rating and a comment. We love to hear from you, so please don't be shy, and a big thank you to everyone that's donated so far. We couldn't do this without your help. Okay. So the Canadian Corps was given a front of about 8.5 kilometers and would need to advance roughly 14 kilometers to achieve all its objectives. So just imagine 8.5 wide, 14 kilometers deep. The Canadians faced the significant obstacle, a 200 meter wide Luch River, as well as large tracts of land that was heavily flooded. All four Canadian divisions would attack at once with support from the Canadian Cavalry Brigade. That's right, Cavalry. Um, This brigade was starving for the opportunity to attack in open country for the first time in the war. At 4.20 a.m. on August 8th, 2,000 artillery pieces signaled the start to the battle, while nearly 650 of those pieces were directly supporting the Canadian advance. A creeping barrage advanced at 200 meters per minute, with the Canadian troops hugging the barrage as close as possible. While the Canadian infantry advanced fairly rapidly, the Mark V tanks proved to be slow and vulnerable to German anti-tank fire. As well, the Canadian Cavalry Brigade quickly found out that the charge of the Sabre was no match for the machine gun of the German. Heavy casualties were inflicted upon that brigade as it advanced against German positions in full gallop. The day of the cavalry was long over. Unfortunately, the Canadian Cavalry Brigade refused to believe it. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Nonetheless, August 8th was an unqualified success. On the first day alone, the Canadians advanced 13 kilometers and shattered three German divisions. General Erich Ludendorff, the mastermind behind the Ludendorff Offensive, called August 8th the Black Day of the German Army in the history of the war. The Canadians, however, had suffered heavily. Over 1,000 dead in a single day and 3,000 more wounded, missing, and taken prisoner. The gains on the first day were so significant that 4th Army headquarters sank into chaos and confusion as Rawlinson and his staff attempted to quickly put together a follow-up plan for August 9th. 
The problem was Curry's four divisions were exhausted. But as the most forward formation at the end of the first day, it was going to fall back on Curry and his corps to act as the spear point that could potentially shatter the remaining German defenses. August 9th thus saw continued heavy fighting, and the Canadian advanced an astonishing six more kilometers, this time though at a cost of 2,574 dead. The reality was that exhausted and worn-out soldiers meant greater and greater casualties for every ensuing kilometer gain. Pushing on was going to exact a heavier and heavier toll. 13 kilometers on August 8th cost them just over a 1,000 dead. 6 kilometers on August 9th cost them 2,500 dead. What was August 10th going to cost them? Curry understood that continual pressure on the Germans was simply going to cost him more and more, and he began to send messages back to 4th Army Headquarters to put a halt to the offensive. But a halt was not to come. Thus, Curry began to cycle out divisions, attempting to find any fresh troops he could to lead the continual offensive. The British 32nd Division, for instance, was temporarily attached to the Corps, and Curry thrust them into the line. 1st, 2nd, and 3rd Canadian Divisions were all pulled out, while 4th Division continued on. Casualties mounted, while Rawlinson refused to call a halt. Finally, on the 13th of August, both Curry and the commander of the Australian Corps, General Monash, appealed to both Rawlinson and Field Marshal Haig to call off the attacks. Despite anger emanating down from Supreme Commander Foch over letting up when the enemy was seen to be beaten, 4th Army finally halted on the 14th. The Battle of Amiens was over. The Battle of Amiens was one of the most incredible Entente victories of the entire war. The Canadians alone met and defeated elements of 14 different German divisions, destroying three of them, capturing 9,300 prisoners and advancing nearly 24 kilometers at an incredibly heavy cost of 11,822 casualties. While the Canadian Corps was able to replenish its ranks from a broken-up 5th Canadian Division that remained in England, Amiens destroyed the punching power of the Australian Corps. For the remainder of the final Entente push, Known as the Hundred Days Campaign, it would now be the Canadians, and the Canadians alone, leading the way. For the Germans, Amiens was a devastating blow. Most of the leadership realized that the end was now drawing near, and it was time to focus on preventing the Entente forces from driving straight into the homeland. Kaiser Wilhelm himself understood the significance of Amiens when he wrote, we have reached the limits of our capacity. The war must be terminated. A reminder, you can find us on iTunes, you can find us on Facebook, you can find us on SoundCloud, and you can find us at our website, www.coolcanadianhistory.com. And of course, you can find me on Twitter, at Doc Boris, that's at D-O-C-B-O-R-Y-S. I want to thank you for listening. For Cool Canadian History, I'm David Boris. Take care.